Welcome to Death Holler, the place of haunted hearts and haunted homes. We welcome you to Death Manor, the home that boasts the most ghosts. Come on in. We've been expecting you. Take a look around. You might see someone that you recognize. Do you hear those voices? That's just the Reverend Dr. Death and La Arena. They're so happy to see you. Sit back and relax. Make yourself at home. Your new home. And remember, when you're in Death Holler, listener discretion is always advised. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey, Urena, what's happening? You know, same bullshit, different day. I should say same boo shit. <laughs> same boo shit. <laughs> so many ghosts. Well, we're, we might take care of that problem today. Um, <laughs> what uh, have you uh, been watching? Any spooky movies? Um, I wouldn't say spooky movies. I have been watching a certain spooky show. Actually, you and I have both been watching it. It's the only spooky thing I can think of at the moment, which is Stranger Things. And uh, I'll tell you what, it's hard to not give away any spoilers, but holy crap, I am loving every single episode. So what episode have you made it up to? I know you, the last time you told me it was like two or three in, maybe you got a little bit farther than that. Mm, I want to say I'm episode five, which I believe was the one where we had, um, of course, it, when you're dealing with kids in high school, you always have the jocks. So without giving any major spoilers away, a jock dies. And there's so many jocks. Good luck deciding which one it was. But <laughs> it was one that uh, I really was getting uh, Friday the 13th vibes with the water they were in. I don't know about you. Um, yeah, that, that's probably a throwback to that because, I mean, there's clear Nightmare on Elm Street vibes going on oh in the first God. episode for sure. Oh, my God. Yes. Uh, you had mentioned that. And I was just, I guess I was surprised with how you couldn't have described it any better. And I was like, and how quickly it came about, too. I was like, holy shit. He was not lying at all. Yeah, it's uh, there. There's some people on the internet that are even claiming that it almost has like that house that it takes place in almost looks like Nancy's house from uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. So it's it's got a lot of callbacks. I did find it funny that there is a character by the name of Nancy. In <laughs> yeah. in obviously, well, clearly we know if you watch Stranger Things, you know who Nancy is. Um, the house definitely. Uh, and fun fact about that house, you may or may not know this, but did you know that Bo Burnham lives in that house with his uh, longtime girlfriend? And he did, his uh, Netflix special was done in that house. Is that the one where he sings about Jeff Bezos? Mm -hmm. Okay. Not Death no Holler. Yeah, not Death Holler related at all. Uh, my husband rants and raves <laughs> about that show. I, I think he did a wonderful job. He did everything himself. 100%. A good thing to do when you're stuck in quarantine, you know? But yeah, yeah I did not know he sure. lived in the uh, in the Nightmare on Elm Street house, which is uh, pretty fucking cool. That is really cool. So I, I, I had no clue about that. Yeah. But Stranger Things, going back to that, excuse me, La Arena is eating food right now. The most unprofessional thing. <laughs> most unprofessional <laughs> thing you can do on a podcast. But you know what? I'm here for fun. Food is fun, and no one's paying me to be here. So, 
Well, if, if we can cover, uh, just to, to be totally unprofessional, to break the fourth wall and everything, just so you know, I could not hear the disclaimer whenever we first kicked in. So Uh-oh. I don't know why it's not coming through on the headset, but okay. just throwing that out there. Well, you know what? Um, we, um, just give me just a moment because I just want to make sure that we, I do have my audio going properly. Um, I hit the button there. And I'll edit this. I probably won't edit this. Let's be honest. I usually just leave it all in there. <laughs> it 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 adds to the charm. It's fine. I get. I suppose so. But I want you to hear the <laughs> the stuff I made. The stuff I I did special things today. La Urena was working her buttocks off today. So, anyways, whatever. Well, Let's go on with the discussion. Yeah. All right. Go on with the discussion, and I'll um, see if I can figure it out. Um. But yeah, I mean, this new season, I know some people dropped off after the second season and I totally don't blame them. The second season did kind of have a few misses in it. I mean, I I liked a few things about it, but there was a lot uh, that was uh, left to be desired on that that season. I thought season three picked back up and did pretty well. I know some people had their, you know, were iffy about that one, but the whole thing with Billy and, you know, the the mind flayer was pretty good, but I'm really, really loving the new season. Cause it's like they, instead of going that, uh, whole, uh, like the third season had more of like a, eighties uh, kids fantasy movie feel to it, especially considering the use of the never ending story, uh, theme song and in this season's went straight back to horror and like it's good really really good horror like the way they've weaved it into the show and i like how they um have i mean i i'm not gonna spoil anything but the way that they they've got some two or three different like stories going on at the same time and they weave them together in a in a pretty good cliffhanger that makes me really looking forward to the july 1st uh second volume or whatever oh, which is gonna second. be like two hours yeah, a second part yeah. of it. Um, I have to agree with you because that was one thing I was going to say is that there's there's a lot of, you know, I'm not good with when the stories are bouncing around, but this, yeah. there's probably about three different major scenarios going on in each episode and they bounce around to them a lot and I'm fucking loving it because you're like, oh my God, I forgot what was going on with this. Yes, what's going on with that person? <laughs> Yes, what's going on with this? So, yeah, I'm say, loving what they're doing. I'd say the only negative for me is the uh, California kids scenario they got going on because it's really, I don't know, it's a little too goofy, and it's not helped by the fact that Argyle is like one of the, you know, uh, he's, he's okay, but he's he's a Cheech and Chong stand-in, and it, like it just kind of doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't work as well for me. I don't now, like Argyle he, either. What's that? I said I don't like Argyle either. Yeah, he's, I don't know, he's just a stoner. There's no, there's nothing else to his personality. Um, oh, and he's attracted to the uh, Lucas's girlfriend's sister. I mean, there, there's, or not Lucas, but uh, Dustin's sister, or girlfriend's sister. So there's that. But I mean, the, the standout character this season that they introduced is Eddie, for sure. The oh, yeah. The Hellfire Club. I love that guy. Uh, that actor is doing an amazing job with that character. I, I liked him from the get-go. Uh, he is. I'm liking him. I didn't think I was because much like Argyle, I thought he was just going to be the typical version of what you get with that character. I'm sorry. Yes. I told you straight up I was that my daughter was playing drums. She's playing the devil's beats right now. And um, I thought it was some <laughs> weird noise coming through the microphones. It's my daughter. Okay. <laughs> Back to what we were discussing. Yes, I thought he was just going to be the typical... Um, loser, uh, rocker, guy, whatever. Argyle's the typical 
smoker, you know, high guy all the time. But yes. yeah, Eddie's come some. He's he's different in a good way. He's got layers. Mm. Oh, one hundred percent. Actor is and the actor is one hundred percent like really laying into those layers and doing a good job with him. Yeah. Um. It is funny. I I don't know if you sent it or if uh, Timmy G sent it in the Scooby Gang, but um. Somebody sent a meme that was talking about the typical teenager in Stranger Things, and it's like a really old-looking guy. <laughs> I don't – I have that meme. I don't know if I sent that or not, but, yes, that meme cracks me up. It looks like the – I mean, the dude's like 40 or 50, and he's, you know, just standing there like, you know, like, I'm in high school, guys, and sadly that that's coming across this season. Well, at least they explained Eddie a little bit because he has flunked the senior year twice. So he yes. is technically an adult. Um, and there's the possibility. He, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that actor has a youthful face though. He's oh, actually yeah. younger looking than the guy who plays Will Byers. That's the, <laughs> that's the part that gets me. And Will Byers, the guy who plays Will Byers is not, um, he's not super old either. Like I, I, like I looked, I was like, how old is this guy playing a, I think he's, he's technically an adult too, or is he still in high school? Uh, they're all supposed to be like freshmen or sophomores in high school. It's like, I mean, they're early in their high school. Not Will Byers, and, though. Wait, is Will the one that yeah. got kidnapped at the beginning? Yes. No, I'm not and talking about Will. I'm talking about, the, yeah, his brother. His brother is the old-looking one. Oh, yeah, his brother's not in, I, I don't believe his brother's in high school anymore. If he is, that that one's the worst because that guy straight up looks like he's 35. So, I mean, yeah, yeah that, there's no there's no help in that guy. Um, I'm going to pre-apologize right now because obviously I have to use the Wi-Fi and I can tell that it's glitching. So I apologize if you miss pieces of my <laughs> conversation. It's coming through pretty well. The The image quality is not as good as it normally yeah, is. Yeah, fuck the image. You know, we through. could probably actually, if I turn off my camera, it'll probably be <laughs> a little bit better. But ah, we'll leave it unless we have issues. Anyways, so yeah, Stranger Things, fucking loving it. Um... I took some time away from it because I needed to revisit the movies that we are to we are we're talking about today. <laughs> I I'm not going to talk about it now, but there's one that I was going to watch that you were like oh, I had to suffer through this one, and I was like I'm going to do it. I'm going to watch it. I I, I didn't. <laughs> so we'll talk about that when it comes up. We will talk about that one. One hundred percent. Well, I did watch a few more movies besides the ones that we've uh, just watched for this episode. Um, I was mainly watching them because uh, there's a there's a boutique uh, video label series or whatever that makes like Blu-rays and 4Ks and that sort of thing that was uh, having a sale recently. It's called Vinegar Syndrome, and they was having their halfway to Black Friday sale. And there was a few of them that I was halfway interested in. So I went ahead and watched them. They, they were available on either a combination of uh, YouTube or Tubi. And there was some interesting ones in the mix. Now, the first one, Steel and Lace, I don't know how much you would appreciate that. That one was ultra cheese. It was like early 90s, like slasher type movie. But it, it's a the gist of it is, is this woman is, is uh, it starts out and this woman's in court and she's trying to, sue this yuppie guy or whatever that who was who raped her and uh like the court uh because of some kind of technicality finds in his favor and doesn't punish him at all and all of his friends were around that saw this happen and so the woman 
there was her brother, her brother promises her they'll, they'll get their, you know, they'll get justice for the guy, but she's just like, you know, I, I you know, I, I, I need peace. And the only way I'm going to find that with him out there is to kill myself. So she leaps from a building. Well, it skips ahead so many years and, um, it, these guys are dying one by one. And what it turns out to be, it's, it, literally the woman is uh, her brother brought her back like uh brought her brain back and part of her body as like a cyborg and uh she's able to change shape and some other things but like the kills in it are pretty interesting she literally kills a guy with her vajayjay in the movie oh much uh, like teeth huh no, i was kidding <laughs> yeah she straight up makes him look like uh, somebody from the mummy you know movie like totally desiccated like you know she uses that down there everything in his body goes and and he's a shriveled up corpse afterward that's a it's an interesting kill did so. she unbirth him <laughs> is that what happened uh, it basically it and there's some blood trail down you might there as well just tell us <laughs> she basically sucks his juices out through his dick oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah so that that's the kind of movie it is fucking um, awesome <laughs> Uh, but uh, that one was interesting. So I went ahead and got that cause I actually thought it was pretty fun for what it was, but it's extremely cheesy and you can tell it was like no budget. Uh, there was another one that people are recommending called the grave and I watched that one. And I th think you might actually enjoy that. If you want to look that up on Tubi sometime, it's, uh, like a Southern, it, it, it's not supernatural really, but it's like a Southern Gothic, like crime tale. That's like a, it looked like it could have been an episode of Tales from the Crypt, but was never actually in the, in the season. Ah. Um, Cause it's got one of those morality tales at the end of it. And it's got oh. somebody telling the story. So it's, you know, it, it's got that going along with it. So it literally feels like a Tales from the Crypt episode. That's pretty cool. Um, it's really well done. It's got some famous actors in it. Uh, actually, Michael Hall, who played, um, you know, Rusty Griswold in the original Nightmare, or not, not the original National Lampoon uh, series. And, uh, you know, of course, uh, 16 Candles and uh, Weird Sights and all those. Um, Breakfast Club, he's in it. And uh, uh, Donald Logue, you know, the guy who was, uh, I, I'm sure you've seen him in some things, but like he was a vampire in one of the Blade movies. I believe it was the original Blade, but uh, he's in it. I mean, there's a few more people and it's kind of surprising. Um, the worst movie I watched to try, and I did not buy this one at all. <laughs> it's called American Murder. And the only thing I can give American Murder, because it's literally this cheesy movie about this guy who's wrongly blamed for killing uh, this, his college girlfriend is that it's got um, uh, Christopher Walken in it, and he has some of the best... I think the guy just literally showed up. They told him what to say, and he said, fuck that, I'm going to do my own thing in my own Christopher Walken way. Like, he's supposed to be like this FBI agent, and the very first time you see him in the movie, which is the best part of the movie, he's, like, called in to, like, talk this guy. This guy's got this woman held hostage at a 7-Eleven, and he's there to talk the guy down, and literally the lines coming out of his mouth are... Hey, uh, hey, hey, Mike! Uh, I fucked your, I fucked your wife last night. She loved it. She wants to get my blowjob or give me a blowjob. You know, like he's literally like antagonizing this guy, uh, and like it, I don't know. You have to watch it for just that. But I mean, I would cut every other part of that movie out because it sucks otherwise. Wow, fun. <laughs> but um. And then I watched the the last one I'm going to talk about because we got a lot to talk about this episode is The Sadness, which is what everybody and their mother's been talking about on Shudder. So, I mean, I figured I would check that one out. 
very interesting zombie movie with very heavy hints of COVID outbreak in it because it's set in China, basically. I believe it's China. Forgive me if it's it. I'm pretty sure that's the Asian country it's set in. But uh, during a pandemic where they're all locked down and the virus mutates and it's that virus has got like the basis, uh, its basis is the rabies virus. So whenever it actually starts to mutate, it causes people to uh, uh, not act responsibly in many ways. And uh, one of the ways that I mean, and, and it's not and these are smart zombies. They don't just go around like eating flesh or anything like that. They literally fuck. Uh, you to death uh, they will uh, kill you and, and and torture you before you die because they and they're in because something about the way the movie describes it they the limbic system is like totally jacked up and they're all about pleasure it's either fuck or kill and that's all they want to do like and that and and they look like demons the way because yeah. their face is like a perpetual smile but the reason it's called the sadness is because whenever they're infected they're crying the entire time, even though they're smiling. And some guy later on the movie, spoiler alert, says that um, even though you're doing all these terrible things, the inner person that is you is feeling sadness about the shitty things that you're doing to other people. Yeah. Damn. Uh, it's uh, it's getting a lot of major play or a lot of talk from people because it goes out there. Like, somebody gets skull fucked i'll put it that way that's it goes it goes that far well so, all righty then <laughs> so God if damn. Not that I, I wouldn't watch it holy shit dude well you were and very that, busy i think there's somebody at the door <laughs> oh well i hope you can hear this let's let them in Welcome back to Death Holler. I'm your host and resident EPA inspector, the Reverend Dr. Death, and joining me as always is the ghost who refused Gozer's call and who would absolutely eviscerate me if I compared her to Slimer, La Urena. Who are you going to call, Urena? Um, well, I definitely don't want to call the Ghostbusters. I'm not trying to get thrown into some, <clears throat> excuse me, some cell with some other smelly-ass, smoky, slimy fucking ghost just shooting the ectoplasm wherever they can shoot it. No, thank you. I'm so good. <laughs> um, that intro mashup song, by the way, was by a YouTuber named Alex Aerosmith. And uh, it's perfect because it comes into a topic we'll be discussing later about the movie. Uh, yes. And I am um, also hoping that we did like by playing that mashup that we don't get flagged for anything. <laughs> Usually yeah, when there's a mashup, do, yeah. And if we do it, it has to be cut from any future YouTube postings of this, just so you know, it was a, I want a new drug and the Ghostbusters themed mashed together perfectly uh, to where they sound like they're the same damn song. Oh my God. It was so good when you sent that to me. I was like, even before I even played it, I was like, oh, this is going to be <laughs> fucking good. Like I heard it in my head before I even played it, which by the way, were you able to hear it through the stream? Yes, oh, I was. Woo, I so, fixed it. That's good. I am a... Freaking 
producing genius, everybody. Just kidding. I am for hire, though. Um, today, we are putting the Ecto containment unit to the test. Not only are we covering the 1984 original, a film some would call the absolute best horror comedy, uh, we are also covering its 1989 sequel, the uh, 2021 requel, Afterlife, and we're going to uh, going to shed all over that 2016 Paul Feig reboot. Um, so suit up, grab your proton packs, and above all else, do not cross the streams as we check out Ghostbusters. <laughs> that is, there's first, so much sexual innuendo. I swear, in the first movie alone, but don't, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> there, there's a lot. We'll get to it. Yes. Uh, I'll just say that I have a very large epididymis, so there you go. Anyway... <laughs> Um, if podcast plug, if you're enjoying the podcast, uh, we would appreciate if you would take the time to like, comment, subscribe on whatever podcast platform platform you prefer. It helps us, uh, get more visibility on podcast listings and helps us grow. Uh, we appreciate everyone who listens and hope you enjoy the show. Yeah. Go and check us out on all them, their platforms, you know, <laughs> all them platforms. Oh man. Now, a new segment to the show that we're going to title, I think I downloaded the wrong movie. Um, before we, we're going to bring it up before we get to the main event. It seems that Donnie G, proprietor of the video smash up, uh, got in a new shipment of quality films he thinks we might be interested in. Um, let's take a quick peek behind the red velvet curtain at the back of his store and see what he has for rent this week. Oh, let's do it. And now, it's time for another episode of I Think I Downloaded the Wrong Movie. Hey guys, it's Donnie G, uh, and the movie that the good doctor has given me to review today is Ghostbusters Triple X Parody. After being mocked and humiliated by the male Ghostbuster team, Monique decides to start her own team of sexy ghost hunting ladies, the Nutbusters. Uh, As the Ghostbusters and Nutbusters compete for busting rights around town, a fierce rivalry develops. But which team will fuck their way to the top of the ghost busting world first? Starring Monique Alexander, Kareem Lee, Xander Corvus, Sean Lawless, Charles Dara, Isaiah Maxwell, Romy Rain, Nikki Benz, a personal favorite of mine, Anna Fox, uh, Abigail Mack, Michael Vegas, and Veronica Avlove. Okay, before I get started, And before you go searching online, this movie is every bit of two hours and 24 minutes long. Uh, And in case you were wondering, yes, I did make it all in one sitting. Uh, But regardless of the runtime, this is one of the highest ranked reviews. Uh, This film covers just about every mainstream kink that you could be into. It's got some girl solo action, an all-girl three-way, two-girl, one-guy three-way, which includes some POV elements. Uh, a three-on-one gangbang that leaves the girl double-stuffed and airtight, and it finishes up with a bukkake scene. And, of course, you can't have a cast this size without it resulting into an orgy scene. Uh, As far as the production value of the cast, uh, it's very easy to see that everyone involved in this production 
are all experienced professionals. And as far as the storyline, it's really not that bad at all. The dialogue is solid as far as the porn is concerned. And the overall plot, it point it paints a spotlight on the female empowerment and entrepreneurship. Uh, the overall score on this on IMDB with 38 voids, uh, it's currently setting at a 7.3 out of 10. Uh, I'm actually going to agree with that. Um, despite the runtime, I'm going to go ahead and give it a solid 7 out of 10 eggplants. All right, that's all I've got for you today, guys. Just remember, uh, if you want to follow me on Instagram, you can find me at big underscore bald underscore M-F-E-R. And you can also follow Death Holler at Death Holler Podcast. Thank you for listening. And as always. And we're done. <laughs> so I would like to add an addendum because Donnie G did contact me and say that he left one thing out that he would like to add to that. Oh. Um, he said that it does uh, give nods to genre classics, uh, such as the infamous Ghostbuster 1984 scene of Dan Aykroyd getting a BJ from a ghost. Oh, of course. Um, it it has a scene from The Exorcist. He didn't describe that. And uh, even a scene from Ghost Ship. So it oh. does reference other horror films. Well, we're going to have to um, go check it out with the family. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, all interested parties should be aware that rentals are due next day by 8 p.m. before occurring <laughs> additional fees. And please be kind and rewind. Um, you know, as far as I recall, we did not tell him to watch that film. Um, he was supposed to watch what we're reviewing, which is Ghostbusters. Um, I think he downloaded the wrong film. I, I think that might be the problem. But, you know, at least he's... Uh, at least he's got that in at the video smash up if you want to go uh, check that one out. Oh, my God. Poor guy. Anyways. Oh, yeah. He must be suffering so bad from after watching that. Uh, two hours. I mean, he, he, he made it through it. So, oh. I mean, good on him. <laughs> All right. Before we get any more blue balls, let's get into the movie discussion here. Um, the, the first movie we're bringing up is Ghostbusters, uh, the original 1984 classic. Um, it was written by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis and Rick Moranis, uh, wow. who, who was uncredited, uh, as a writer on that one. Um, directed by Ivan Reitman. Composer is Elmer Bernstein. And, uh, of course, uh, yeah, it would not be the movie we, th we know and love if it wasn't for Ray Parker Jr., uh, uh, contributing his his famous Ghostbusters theme song to it, uh, which did result in a lawsuit, of all things. Wait, what? Um, yeah, apparently Huey Lewis and the News were originally uh, the <gasps> ones that uh, Sony or Columbia came to, and, and they offered them to the rights to uh, record the theme song, and they just didn't have the time for it. And they shipped it around, uh, got a few other denials, and then Ray Parker Jr. was like, okay, I'll do it. But the poor guy was running behind on time trying to get it in before their uh, deadline. And so the theory is, and this has never been proven officially in court, I don't, I mean, or not been like officially stated anywhere, but the theory is, is that whenever the Columbia sent the soundtrack uh, that they or sent the thing to him to that they wanted him to record. They sent him like a sample, and apparently it sounded a lot like "I Want a New Drug." 
because that's who they originally went with or wanted to go with was Huey Lewis. So uh, whenever he got it and he didn't have the time to do anything else, he took that sample track and he actually based his song around that, which, of course, sounded very similar to I Want a New Drug. Yeah. And um, Huey Lewis and the News sued Ray Parker Jr. for plagiarism. Um, citing the similarities between their theme, his theme song, and their earlier hit, I Want a New Drug. Um, and while protecting intellectual property is a cause uh, dear to musicians, the dissimilarities between the two songs, different chord sequences, different refrains, different bridge, were greater than in other similar cases. And the general feeling amongst musicians was that the, even though Huey Lewis won the judgment, uh, there was a lot of music, fellow musicians that felt like he shouldn't have. So wow. kind of contentious. Well, yeah, because, okay, um, did I hear you correctly that uh, Ray Parker Jr. was given the sample or he was just, he just decided to use it? That's the theory. Nobody has came out and officially said that, but that, because, but the theory is, is that maybe he was sent a sample of what they originally thought they were going to go with for the, the song that they were originally shipping over to Huey Lewis because it sounded like his music. And Ray Parker was like, okay, I'll base my song around that. Now I've listened to Ray Parker Jr. like I was just you know in prep uh, you know in preparation for this at like a live event they had in like 2016 when that shitty reboot come we'll discuss that <laughs> later uh, came out and the man is very talented musically oh, yes. I mean, so he he contributed a lot to the song but I mean there might be a basis that he did like take that bass track and then yeah. just work around it which isn't his fault I feel like that's the studio's fault but. I mean, what do I know? Um, I actually saw Ray Parker uh, Jr. do Ghostbusters live on TV. Um, and it was for, in, I want to say it was in 2020 when Disney had, oh my God, it was so horrible. It was a Hocus Pocus, like Halloween special <laughs> or something. None of the good actors showed up. Uh <sighs> anyways uh so yeah but he was there and he played he was the only good part of that show was he went and he did ghostbusters live um and he fucking blew it away and i did not know how amazing of a guitar player he was he had a guitar solo it was fucking awesome that's the part that amazed me because that's he plays the guitar lick that's in that song Mm -hmm. and i mean he played it you know in that live one that i saw and like i was amazed because he did a like little uh, r&b blues riff before he led into it because he was just you know kind of playing around with it and and apparently that's what he did before he became famous for this song he was an r&b guy so he's very talented with the guitar yeah well that's just uh kind of Uh, sad to hear yeah but i mean there's not many there's not many movies you can say have a definite theme song. I mean, we did cover Beetlejuice and it kind of has its own, uh, in a roundabout way because of the Harry Belafonte song, but this one has its own official theme song and everybody knows it. Yeah. And um, every time so anything for the movie, yeah, anytime, almost anytime you see anything kind of Ghostbusters related, you're going to hear that song. If not think about that song, they used it for both of the, the main films, the first and the second. They used it for the, and the only part of the reboot that's any good is that they take that song and they rework it into like a rock theme. And it, it's the, one of the few good things about the reboot that yeah. they did. So, and of course, if when we get to the requel, uh, they, they hold it off the entire movie and then they bring it at the end. And it's just like, I don't know, shivers, you know, like it's just that, that, uh, you know, that feeling that, you know, it's, it, it we watch the Ghostbusters movie. It, it cements it whenever you see that. Yeah. Um, 
it was made for a budget of thirty million dollars, and it made two hundred ninety-five million. Wait, so I'm sorry. That, please repeat that. It was made on a budget of thirty million dollars, <gasps> which is not much in yeah. Hollywood speak, and it made two hundred ninety-five million. Jesus Christ. So there's a reason that it became a franchise. Uh, yeah, I would say so. <laughs> um, principal players, of course. I'm going to give top billing to Bill Murray, <laughs> who plays uh, Dr. Peter Vankman, who is the playboy of the group. Um, uh, also, maybe a diva. We'll get into that a little bit. Uh, that's the reason I'm giving top billing to Bill, because I feel like he would bitch about it if I didn't. Oh, Okay. Um, we got to be careful. Yeah, there, yeah, there's some things. Uh, anyways, he was in Stripes with Harold Ramis, uh, Meatballs, uh, Caddyshack, of course, the you know famous groundskeeper that mm-hmm. you know um, he was in. He was in all a lot of the Wes Anderson movies, Rushmore, The Life Aquatic, you know, um, Royal Tenenbaums. I believe he was in that. At least he was in some of those. Uh, Lost in Translation, that's a big one for him. That was a, a very good dramatic turn for uh, Bill Murray. Uh, Scrooged, which we've covered on this podcast. Um, and um, Groundhog Day, can't forget that. Harold Ramis directed that movie. And wow. actually, here, here's, a, here's a little bit of trivia about Groundhog Day. And this, is, this feeds into, but not the complete story about him being a diva. The reason that No More Ghostbusters movie was made, and this is terrible, is that Bill Murray and Harold Ramis got into such a terrible fight on the set of Groundhog Day, oh the two God. of them never talked again until Harold Ramis' death. Oh, well, the, I wouldn't uh, say right they talked at that time death. either. Oh, okay, right before. <laughs> yeah, um, I was meaning right before. But anyways, it was on his deathbed that they reconciled, which is sad. That's fucking um, terrible. Yeah, and it was mostly because uh, Bill, like, apparently, like, blew a fuse. That, like, when uh, Harold Ramis gave him, like, some directions for, like, he didn't like necessarily how Bill was taking some of the lines or some of the, the acting, uh, he just blew up at him. And, and, and it's said that he kind of did some similar, similar things on the set of Scrooge. So it's not like it was a, you know, a rare event. Um, but it, the, it's sad that the two men, they worked together for so long, and then, like, Groundhog Day was their falling, you know, apart moment. Oh, my God. Can you hear that? I can. Uh, it sounds like the demons of hell are escaping. The hellhounds <laughs> are out. It's, pardon me for a moment, because they're not going to stop until I get involved. Okay. <laughs> hey! How hath no fury like La Urena when she speaks? That is true. <laughs> <laughs> they shut right the hell up. <laughs> that, that's they did. Um, okay, <laughs> back to what we were talking about. So, anyways, we was talking about uh, Bill Murray being a diva, and uh, anyways, he was also an Ed Wood, which is uh, he played a really good part in that one. Uh, and of course, Zombieland one, and, uh, and then of course the sequel, Double Tapped. Uh, I love him in those movies, uh, basically playing himself yes. or a, <clears throat> you know a exaggerated version of himself. And then The Dead Don't Die is another recent horror film that he was in. 
that one I wished I could recommend, but it goes so far up its own ass and gets so pretentious. I can't really recommend it. I keep meaning to um, watch it because it sounds like something that my lame ass would totally enjoy. Um, I really do want to see it, even though you're like, you've given me your fair warnings. Um, but it, I did want to. It's, oh. it's fine up. It's fine up until the ending. If if I could cut out the ending, it would be okay. But it the way it ends, it literally goes so meta. It it um, it breaks the fifth wall. It's like it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I wanted to throw in one more film. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It is probably by far one of the most annoying films ever with Bill Murray in it. But what about Bob? Yes. <laughs> That's why I left it out. That movie gets on my nerves so bad. I've watched so it so bad. many times too, but it's very he's very good at what he does in that in that movie. So <laughs> You totally I mean, I have a hard time sympathizing with Richard Dreyfus. This is a whole other thing because that guy gets on my nerves too. But you can't help but sympathize with him in that movie because <laughs> you're just like everybody you're you're like looking at him, you're like, why why is nobody believing this guy? He's totally <laughs> in the right on this. I yeah, th- that's that really gets to me, but it was really good. It was very well done. But that's that's a good one. Um we have Dan Aykroyd in the movie who plays uh, Dr. Ray Stance. Uh, who is the believer of the group and actually the believer in real life. He is the, the he's the oh, reason yeah. that Ghostbusters exist because he really truly believes in the supernatural and aliens and, you know, conspiracy theories and that sort of thing. I completely forgot about that. I did know that information about him. Um, he, it's, it's, I think it's honestly really cool. I mean, like, it, I mean, he, he legit is passionate about it. I mean, and I, and I dig that. Um, he was, of course, in The Great Outdoors, uh, played kind of an ass in that movie. He was uh, John Candy's uh, asshole. I think it was either his brother or brother-in-law. It might be his brother-in-law in that movie. Um, uh, he was, of course, uh, in The Blues Brothers. Um, <laughs> he was, uh, was that Elroy uh, Blues, I believe. I can't I can't keep them straight. but any, Or maybe he was Jake. I don't know. I never um, liked watching The Blues Brothers. I never. I mean, I've seen one of the newer films that they did, but, well, newer, but, you know. When they did the film, I should say. The interesting thing when we get to trivia is the Blues Brothers ties in the, not the, only the original movie, but also the sequel. So we'll get <laughs> into how that ties in. Um, he was also in the Coneheads based upon the Saturday Night Live sketches that he, he did. Which I um, watched that quite a few times. That's a character times. got on my nerves too. Oh, it, you know what it did, but I, I did like watching the movie. I don't know why. Um, and that probably, and, and it's, it's funny because that his whole alien thing. So that ties into that. Yeah. Um, he was in spies like us with Chevy chase. Um, he was actually, I forgot he was in my girl, but he plays yes. like the dad in that movie um, of more serious role of his. Yeah. Very good in that too. Uh, he was in Caddyshack too. So it's like him and Murray were kind of swapping out on that. Oh. Um, he is credited, but he's also credited as the writer on set. Anytime, because him and Ramus wrote the original movie, they're credited as writers and all the stuff. But yeah. he is credited helping write the real Ghostbusters cartoon. But I don't think he had like a true hand in it. I think it's just the fact that, you know, he, him and Ramus like, you know, created the, the story. Yeah, that went into it. Yeah. Um, and of course, the Ghostbusters video game. But yet again, like I said, writing credits there. Um, and he's also got a pretty cool scene in Twilight Zone, the movie, where it's like uh, he he asks this person if if uh, if they like to see some or scary movies or if they like to see something scary. And it's actually one of the most effective scares in the film, I believe. So it's pretty good in that way. Um, hold on, uh, I'm going to interrupt real quick. Didn't 
all of the original characters, aside from, um, what do you call it, Ramus, didn't they voice their characters in the Ghostbusters video game? They all did, I think. Well, yeah, except for Ramus, because it came out in 2016, and he couldn't because he passed away in 2014, I believe. So, yeah, yeah. Yes. So, yeah, and so that, I'm wondering if that's why they credited credited him in the video game was because he voiced his own character, or did they credit well, him as a writer? No, well, actually, it was his voice. I'm sorry, it was that. It was the writer for the, the, the cartoon, and then it was his voice for the, the game. So that's what it was. Um, It's weird because uh, they did, maybe this is for the movie. No, it says characters. Um, hmm, Because it's saying that Ramus did do his own voice, and I'm like, did they just take clips of things he has said and put them in the game? I think that's maybe what they did because I, it's kind of, we'll get to it when we kind of discuss it, but it's kind of like a greatest hits of everything oh, yeah. that went before. So they, they probably did that. Absolutely. Okay. Um, and also a quick little thing that I, that I sent you right before, you know, uh, we did the podcast. Uh, Dan Aykroyd also cameoed as uh, Dr. Ray Stance in the Casper movie. So there's oh, that yeah. too. <laughs> oh my god of all the times i've seen that movie what the hell did i oh, i'm getting old it's a pretty it's a pretty funny little scene it doesn't yeah. last very long but he comes running out of the mansion whenever the casper's like uh, uncles or whoever they are like you know are causing hell in the place and uh he runs out and he tells the people he's like i, I he's like you're gonna have to call somebody else oh my <laughs> god kind of a, you know funny line yeah um we have Harold Ramis, who plays Dr. Egon Spangler, uh, who is the serious one out of the bunch, the brain of the group, the one that actually does the, the true science that comes, you know, that, that they base everything off of. Uh, he was in National Lampoon's Vacation, uncredited as a car salesman's voice, which I did not know. Which, I mean, didn't um, they physically show the car salesman? So why did they use another person's voice? I have no idea, but it was it was funny just going through IMDb yeah. and seeing that. I was like, I had no idea he was it had anything to do with that. That's hella funny. Oh my um, god! Sorry. He was also, I mean, several of them were in SCTV. That was kind of like another like off brands. Well, I don't say off brand. It was a it was a competitor in a way to or another uh, form of comedy sketch shows like Saturday Night Live. So oh, okay. he was in that. He was in that. Uh, stripes, like we've already mentioned, uh, heavy metal. He did a voice in. Yeah, that's, that's what I thing. gasped at. I was like, "What? He was in heavy metal? <laughs> yeah. Holy shit!" Uh, uh, he was in Groundhog Day, but he was also the writer director of it. He was actually the doctor, I believe, in Groundhog Day. So, Ooh. That, you know, with that and him and Bill Murray getting into a fight, you know, he was trying to direct Bill Murray, and Bill Murray's like, "I do whatever the fuck I want." As per usual, and Harold Ramos was like, but I need you to do this. And then they got into a little <laughs> hand slap fight, and they never made up until he died. Yeah, that's it's it's so sad. Yeah. It really is. And, and the guys on Red Letter Media bring this up, and it's, it's bad to think about. But really, if you want to blame anybody for there not being a, a true third Ghostbusters movie, it really falls on Bill Murray because he would not – do the movie because he was so pissed at Ramus that he wouldn't come back and agree to it. Wow. Yeah, it's it, it sucks. And then and then for him to come back and do the requel after, you know, of course they, you know, it, I, they're, they're, I, it, it's bad. I don't want to think of Murray that way, but it does suck, I mean, realizing yeah. that. I mean, he has 
he always gives the impression that he's been a diva. So we're not surprised. It's just kind of sad that he took it to the level that he took it to. Yeah, especially since they were such good friends. I mean, that that's what, uh, nothing else. I mean, who cares about the movies? These men were literally like, I mean, you know, uh, just the best of pals up until, and then they just had such a falling out, they would not even speak to each other. That that's just sucks, you know. Um, Ramus also did uh, was a director of Multiplicity, which I love that movie. Love uh, that movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Michael Keaton is great in that. Oh, yes. Uh, <clears throat> he was in Orange County. He was in uh, it? He was in Walk Hard, which I, I'm going to have to go back and, and check out because I forgot about. And what's funny is that he was in Meatballs 2, you know, you know, we had Murray in Meatballs 1. Ramus was in Meatballs 2. And then he was also the writer of Caddyshack 2. <laughs> and, you know, of course, uh, Murray was in Caddyshack 1. It was like they were just like all these guys were just going back and redoing each other's movies. It yeah. Like. Interesting. Okay. Um, we have Ernie Hudson, uh, who plays Winston Zeddemore, who is the blue-collar skeptic and actually the audience stand-in. He's the one that helps the audience get grounded in this reality because he recognizes how insane it all is. Um, an interesting thing about Ernie Hudson, he's one of the nicest friggin' guys you can meet at a convention. Like, he is very down-to-earth. He loves that franchise, and he appreciates the fans for giving him, like, the ability to be that character. So he's a really... He's one of the few that, you know, they don't meet your heroes, but he's one that's actually pretty cool. Yeah, and it's funny because I told Noah in the first, you know, movie, after we were done watching, I was like, he was like one of the most useless characters in this film. <laughs> well, there's a reason for that, and I'll get to it in the trivia, but he got done really dirty. Oh, in, okay. In the first movie. Yeah, there's a reason. It's bad, too. But, okay. Um, so he was in The Crow. Um he was in a lot of Z-grade sequels to other things. I didn't want to rattle them all off. And the man has worked almost uh, as more than any other person in this entire cast because if you look at his IMDb, it's like a mile long, and it's all like TV shows, but the man has consistently worked wow. ever since Ghostbusters. Like, he just, he'll take he'll take the part and, you know, how, however big or small it is and just run with it. Wow. Which is, I mean, that's commendable. I mean, you know, there, if you're a diva, you know, you might not do that. But, I mean, Ernie Hudson's just like, I love being an actor. So, you know, any job I can get. Um, we have Sigourney Weaver uh, playing Dana Barrett and or just Zool, <laughs> um, who is a concert cellist, uh, the gatekeeper, and the love interest slash romantic fool in the movie. Um, and, of course... She is Ripley from the Aliens movies. I mean, Alien, oh, yeah. Aliens, Aliens 3. That is her most famous role. And th this movie, if nothing else, plus the Aliens movie, cemented to me that all these woke people nowadays that claim there's been no good, positive, like, empowered female roles needs to fucking get off their ass, watch Sigourney Weaver back in the day. That woman, she was powerful, but feminine at the same time. Oh, yeah. And they... And, I feel like that nowadays you have to go the route of like Captain Marvel uh, and make them like almost manly to get the power aspect. And, and no, you go back and look at Sigourney Weaver. She put Bill Murray's character in his place in the Ghostbusters movie uh, and was perfectly, you know, just, I mean, there was nothing like manly about it. She was just, you know, uh, that's, she came across that way. Yeah. And of course in the alien movies. Well, in alien movies, um, she wasn't overly sexy either. She wasn't like this 
unrealistic, you know, well, she was gorgeous. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying she was ugly, but like she wasn't, you know, wearing tape over her nipples and, you know, a black <laughs> leather outfit or anything. She was dressed normally and she, but she was just feminine and in a normal way, you know? Yeah. And that character, I mean, really stands out as being like a big time, you know, uh, uh, just a female empowerment figure. I mean, yeah. she's, I mean, and, and Sigourney Weaver. And of course she continued the same kind of thing on galaxy quest. That was yeah. kind of a throwback to, I mean, in a, in a funny way, you know, uh, and I like how she stood up to Tim Allen in that movie and kind of stood her on ground. <laughs> uh, she, She's in a movie you brought up, which you can talk about, called Heartbreakers. I love um, that movie. <laughs> I think I think what I had described was uh, her and Jennifer Love Huge Tits did a great job in that film together. They really had the mom and daughter roll down. Um, she was in The Cabin in the Woods. She played the director in that film, I believe. She was one of the like you know lead people that. I'm not giving any spoilers away, but like there's some weird shit going on and she's maybe involved with it. Okay, wait, wait, and, wait. Uh, I don't want to give spoilers away, but you have to help me. Is that the one with a bunch of TVs? And they can yes. see the Okay, thank you. Okay. Cause I was yes. like, I don't remember this, but now that you said that, I remember her and that I was like, maybe I was thinking of that other film, not Cabin in the Woods, but another woodsy horror film. Anyways. Well, it's it's called that because that's most American horror is Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, know, exactly. Because it's cheap, you know. It makes sense. Um, she's in the Avatar sequels. Doesn't play a very nice person in those movies. Um, and then she was in Chappie, and she was also in Paul, and she played a very similar, like, you know, like head of the FBI, you know, no-nonsense type person in Paul, and, and was pretty good in that. Yeah. Uh, Rick Moranis uh, plays Lewis Tully, who is the lawyer, the key master, and the comic relief. Uh, Rick is best known as one of the McKenzie brothers uh, in their movie Strange Brew, which I've heard is they're coming out with a sequel to mm. very soon. So that's interesting. Never seen it. Um, and uh, it's very, very Canadian, but that was <laughs> the gist of it. <laughs> Uh, he was obviously in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the sequel, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. You know, those were the um, movies of our freaking days. I swear. <laughs> I remember those. I watched it over and over. My favorite was when they found the Oreo when they were shrunken. Oh, and then that aunt. I mean, yes. that for kids of our age, I mean, that was like an old yeller moment whenever <sighs> that, that poor aunt. So. Yes, 100%. Uh, he was obviously in Spaceballs. Uh, dark was it Dark Helmet? I believe it's oh, what yes. he was called in that one. <laughs> I thought it was Darth Helmet, but either way, Dark maybe was, Darth. It, maybe it was. Uh, uh, fucking hilarious. I, I'm surrounded by assholes. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was Barney Rubble in the Flintstones, which was a very good fit for him because oh, he yes. looked the part. One hundred percent. Next to John Goodman, that was a good fit. They both did great. And of course, uh, Little Shop of Horror. Horrors, he plays Seymour in that, in that, and I really like that. You know, re, it's a remake because it was originally a very low budget black and white film, but the movie that's got him in it uh, playing, and also uh, there's a evil dentist played by, um, 
Oh, what's his name? Oh, God. Steve uh, Martin. Steve Martin. Yeah, Steve, Steve Martin. Oh, my yeah. God. That was such a good movie. Uh, the kids and I actually, well, the kids and I, uh, the family and I actually went to go see it live at a local community college of all places. And they had an Audrey <laughs> 2, like a mechanical Audrey 2. Oh, that's two. awesome. It was amazing. It was so good. So uh, go see that live wherever you can, because I saw it at a community college and they did an amazing job. <laughs> Um, a little bit of trivia about Rick Moranis. This is, I mean, totally outside all this, but the reason he just disappeared from movies is because I believe, and this is sad, he lost his wife and he decided to stay home and take care of the children. I do remember that. And that is correct. Reason, and uh, that's the reason you, you uh, haven't seen him in anything in a while. He's got a couple of movies coming up um, uh, in the and uh, projected the Strange Brew uh, sequel coming out and. Um, uh, possibly even some, uh, you know, he might be in the, the, the upcoming Ghostbusters movies. So um, got a few things to look forward to with Rick Moranis. Yeah, you've um, sent me a few links, up. actually. Um, you sent me a few links of Ghostbusters films that they want to continue the franchise. So that's kind of cool. That'd be cool to see him in it. Yeah, they uh, they did recently just announced that they wanted to um, continue on with the uh Spangler family, so they're going to continue on with that. And uh, I've heard there's even an animated movie uh, set to come out. So nice, that'll be interesting. Uh, next up, we have Annie Potts, who plays Janine Melnitz, uh, the secretary and potential love interest, um, and smartass. <laughs> um, <laughs> she is primarily known to a lot of people for designing women. I mean, that's one of her big roles that that she was on for years. Uh, but she's also the, the grandma and young Sheldon that's currently on, uh, something I wasn't aware of is she's in the toy story films. She does the voice for Bo Peep in those. So yeah. that's kind of interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, she's in a uh, who's Harry Crumb uh, with, um, uh, John Candy and she's been a ton of TV almost as much as, uh, Ernie Hudson, but, uh, it, you know, it's kind of a, a toss up between the two who's been more prolific in their time since Ghostbusters as far as starring in TV roles. Yeah. They got to keep busy, you know, <laughs> I can't believe well, she I plays mean, a grandma in young Sheldon. Like you, you think of Annie Potts and you don't think of her as a grandma, you know? Well, I mean, you don't think of the Annie Potts that everybody remembers, but I mean, you know, she's a white-haired little old lady now, so oh I mean, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, well, we all grow up, I guess. <laughs> we have uh, William Atherton playing Walter Peck, um, or Walter Pecker, <laughs> uh, uh, EPA agent, asshole, and I would argue probably the actual big bad of the film. He's the one that actually sets everything into motion. Yes. Um uh, big thing about him was he 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 had a series of movies during this time period that he just played in uh, an ass. I mean, it was uh, he was the reporter in Die Hard, and you know that that gives away John McClane's identity. Um, he's the main bad guy and real genius that causes or that they're building the big laser for, and uh, it's we'll get into it in the trivia. But I mean, he you know. <laughs> He's got just he he was so prolific in playing these asshole parts that it kind of gave him a stigma out in public. Well, that's what he gets. You know what? It's the it's like I said, it's the resting dick face. He's got resting dick face, and that will earn you a specific role in Hollywood. But unfortunately, you might not be able to stray from it. 
Yeah, I don't, well, yeah, he definitely doesn't have the face of anybody who could play like a hero or you know type character. I mean, he just and and I don't know his is there's something about his voice. It's I don't know. It's a little smarmy, so I guess that plays into it too. Um, rounding out the cast, we have David uh, Margulis, uh, uh, Margulies uh, playing the mayor, and then Slavica Jovan playing Gozer. Which you know we get into the trivia about that. She she's the one that you know portrayed the actual Gozer physical embodiment, but she's but that's not her voice in the movie. So, um, so synopsis: Three professors slash paranormal researchers get kicked out of their cushy college jobs and are forced to start private sector careers. They form a new ghost containment company and begin ridding New York of its local haunts when a prick from the government comes and shuts them down. This, like most government intervention, unleashes a series of unintended consequences that results in total chaos and kicks off what could be the apocalypse. Demon dogs breed and open a portal. Sumerian gods are challenged, and a large avatar of a snack item is demolished. At the end of the day, New York is saved, albeit with major structural damage. (laughs) (laughs) Poor New York. New York is always like the prime focus of all these crazy, crazy things that are supposed to happen or whatnot. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just got that vibe to it. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's a lot easier to set the apocalypse in New York versus, like, say, sunny California. I mean, you know, Buffy did it, but, I mean, it was one of the few shows that, you know, that, that transitioned it over to the, the West Coast. You know, we just reviewed on our last episode, um, we, we, I always mess up the house on Haunted Hill and... Haunting of Hill, just all those things. Which what's Thirteen Ghosts is the one we 13 just did, ghosts, yes. and we were joking. I think it was that one where we were joking about the ghosts having rights. <laughs> was that the, was that the episode we joked about that? Because wouldn't it be funny if the big bad, which was the guy, the EPA guy, was like releasing the ghosts because he thought that they had rights. Yeah, that yeah, that would be. I mean, yeah, that that whole thing with them being like the 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 protectors, almost like the PETA for ghosts. That'd be hilarious if that you know that you know the EPA agent was doing something similar to that. Yeah, it made more sense though that he was at least for the times that this movie was made in that he was environmental protectant <laughs> agency. So whatever. Anywho, all right, moving forward. Um, before we get to trivia, uh, anything that stands out about the movie that you want to bring up or, you know, mention about it? Um, well, there's a lot of things. I'm like, I'm not sure that we should bring it up now or. Okay. Well, just a few things before the trivia that, that, I mean, I really like the music in this movie. Uh, the, the score of it really adds to it. I mean, kind of a creepy score. I like the visual effects for the time period. They were, they, they still stand out, you know, even though they were pre CGI, which is amazing. And just some of the lines in the movie, uh, we'll get into it improvised or not, were are just hilarious. Oh yeah. Like, you know, uh, especially the one it's like, uh, yes, your honor, he is dickless, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, and then of course the, you know, with, uh, uh, Ray, whenever, you know, there's that classic line, it's like, are you a God? And of course, you know, he's like, no. And then, you know, then that's when all hell breaks loose. Um, <laughs> yeah. A lot of good one-liners. Yeah. You know. <laughs> um, oh my God. 
But uh, moving on to trivia, a, a lot of, just like I've mentioned, a lot of the lines in this movie, especially Bill Murray's, were improvised. Big shocker. Um, yeah. Uh, when Vankman mentions the time that Spangler tried to drill a hole in his head, Spangler's response, uh, that would have worked if you hadn't stopped me, uh, was actually ad-libbed by Harold Ramis, uh, and it's a pretty good line in the movie. It's near the very beginning. Uh, some scenes were almost completely improvised as well, like the long, continuous take of Lewis Tully mingling with his party guests, which I find amazing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because the shit he was talking about, the pricing of everything was hilarious. And all the write-offs he was going to have, and, you know, and then he was introducing everybody, and it's just, I don't know, it's just one thing to the next, and that was all improvised. They just let him loose, and he did his thing. Yeah, and then I like I wonder if the part where he was dancing with the girl randomly because she was gonna leave. I wonder if that was improvised or not because they danced for like a whole two seconds. I'm I'm sure it was because that was very awkward dancing between yes. two of them. She kind of looked at him. I mean, she has this look like on her face, like totally surprised, and she tries to get into it, and then you know, of course, she's saved by the the knock at the door. Oh my god! Hey, you know what? It worked. It worked for the film. <laughs> Uh, in the middle of the film's initial release to keep interest uh, going, Ivan Reitman ran a trailer that was basically the commercial the Ghostbusters used in the movie, but the 555 uh, number that uh, was replaced with a 1-800 number, a lot of people would actually call in. Uh, callers got a recorded message of Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd saying something to the effect of, hi, we're out catching ghosts right now. Uh, and then they, and surprisingly, uh, they got a thousand calls per hour, 24 hours a day for several weeks leading up to the re uh, release of the movie. Okay. But back then, like, was it, I wonder if it was like an open line, you know, how you called back in our day, I'm going to age us right now where we called popcorn and you got the time. I wonder yeah, if they, they yeah. got so many calls, if they were able to like bog down, you know, how nowadays you can fucking shut down the internet. Yeah, DOS attacks or whatever they call exactly. them. Exactly. Hmm. That's interesting to know. Okay. Uh, on the set, Dan Aykroyd referred to the Slimer ghost as the ghost of John Belushi. Uh, Slimer's gluttonous eating was based on Belushi's cafeteria scene in National Lampoon's Animal House, uh, released in 1978. The role of Dr. Peter Venkman uh, was originally written for John Belushi, uh, but he died as Dan Aykroyd was writing the script, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Slimer was only referred to by the crew as Onion Head due to his terrible smell, or John Belushi's ghost. The name we all came to call him by came from the cartoon series. Yeah, which I didn't even realize that. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I didn't think about it, and I mean, didn't realize it until, because I mean, growing up on the cartoon, we always referred to him as Slimer. He was on those little, you know, uh, was it Ecto-1 coolers or whatever they were called? You know, that little fruit drink that oh, yeah. had Slimer. Oh, my God. I forgot about those. Yeah. Okay. So the reason being is that it's just, it felt like we always called him Slimer. It doesn't feel like we, like, I don't know. Maybe because I'm trying, this is 19. What, when did this movie come out? I believe it was uh, 84. Okay. Well, maybe I didn't see the movie until <laughs> a little bit later because I was two when this came out. I mean, eh, I'm taking this out. <laughs> <laughs> but. Okay, well, then that would make sense because the cartoon was out by this point, so everybody was calling him Slimer. It just, I don't know. It makes so much sense that he was called Slimer is what I'm getting at. Yeah, it's kind of funny uh, just talking about Ecto-1, this is a tangent, but the guys on Red Letter Media were reviewing uh, one of the Ghostbuster films. I can't remember which one it was now, uh, and they took uh, 
there's a vodka, a Crystal Skull vodka that Dan Aykroyd has released, and they took that and they said it was actually pretty good on its own, but they combined Ecto One with it and made like kind of a mixed drink with it, and they said it was actually pretty good. What the <laughs> hell? So wait, you're talking about that vodka that comes in a glass skull, right? Yes. I did not yeah. know Dan Aykroyd made that. Unless there's somebody else making vodkas like that or something similar, I feel like that there would be. There might be something similar, but his is like shaped like an alien skull. It's oh, like, you okay. Know, you know. Okay, no, this is a regular skull, so. Yeah. I was like, I see that all the time at Sam's Club. Did not know it was Dan Aykroyd's. Okay. <laughs> uh, the character of Winston was meant to have joined the team much earlier and would have been slimed at the hotel. But uh, when Eddie Murphy, who was originally offered the role, declined it, uh, the script was rewritten to have Winston appear halfway through the film. This is a source of contention for Ernie Hudson as his role significantly reduced following the change, cutting out much most of his backstory of being a former Air Force demolitions expert, a medic, and a construction worker, and consequently his pay because he didn't, you know, he wasn't in the movie as much. Uh, they did, however, work some of those elements back into his character's history in the cartoon. Yeah, but was he compensated for that in the cartoon? Probably not, because he didn't. No, oh, no, we'll right. get into that whenever we discuss the cartoon. He got shafted on that too. So. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, because I know I think we'll discuss a little bit. I think well, or we did discuss his character a little bit in, in describing, you know, the role he played and everything. But I think he was supposed to have way more. Ah, anyways, it's just annoying. Moving on. <laughs> uh, Harold Ramis only intended to write the film. He decided to play Dr. Egon Spangler after he felt uh, that he was the best person suited for the role. Uh, he made it, it was his conscious choice to never smile as Egon in the first film, although he does in the sequel. Yes, I, I remember that one smile he had and thought, <laughs> uh, is th that did he ever smile before? Because it was so awkward. And um, it's, it's, I don't know if they base that later on in Ghostbusters Afterlife, if uh, uh, McKenna Grace bases that uh, on that role, but she doesn't really smile a lot as that character either in, uh, as his granddaughter, so that's kind of an interesting correlation. Okay. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> um, some, uh, Christopher Walken, John Lithgow, Christopher Lloyd, and Jeff Goldblum were all considered for the role of Dr. Egon Spangler. Now, we've discussed this during the Beetlejuice uh, segment, but do you think any of those people would have made a good e Egon, I mean, out of that mix? Um, Christopher Walken, definitely no. Too, too serious. Um, John Lithgow, I, I, I feel like he's always been old. And I think he would have just been a little too aged for this role. Like, I don't ever remember John Lithgow being young, you know? Um, Never, no. Yeah. He's always looked like an older man. <laughs> Christopher Lloyd, maybe. And I believe we might have said that for Beetlejuice as well. At least on my end, I feel like that could have been a maybe. Um, yeah, yeah. He, he could have played the role. I mean, although... I don't know at this time period, most people uh, remembered him for the character that he played on Taxi, and um, that character was kind of out there. Yeah. I mean, not to say that Lloyd couldn't have, because he did. He changed it up for, you know, Doc Brown. But still, if they would have typecast him based upon the character he played in Taxi, we would have got a completely different Egon. Because, you know, that's how Hollywood is. They don't oh, yeah. go by what you can do. They go by, you know, what was your last character, and can we shoehorn that in? Yeah. 
um, and that's exactly how I feel. I think that's how I'm basing these. Uh, Jeff Goldblum, I don't. He's always played, well, not necessarily. Like in The Fly, he played somebody different. I don't know. I feel like he plays the same character all the time, which is himself. <laughs> it's it's an odd combination, although um, he it, it seems like with the stuff coming out for uh, Jurassic World uh, nomination or whatever the new one's called, he's uh, kind of toned back some of his speech patterns a little bit. He's, he's not pulling the you know, the, the, you know, like he did in the original Jurassic park, he's not pulling the, you know, those ticks, you know, those little pauses quite as much as he used to. Yeah. A little more, a little more fluent now, if you will. Uh, I definitely noticed that watching the most recent Jurassic park. So, okay. Um, so I'm going to go with a no on majority of those. I just got through watching true romance last night, uh, which is a, a little known, or at least to me, uh, early nineties movie, which was Quentin Tarantino's like first script, even though it got, it was his second movie it, because of how Hollywood works. It was released later. Uh, he didn't direct the movie. It was, uh, I believe Tony Scott was the director's name, but anyways, Christopher Walken plays like one part in the movie, but it's like a very memorable scene mm-hmm. and yeah, a very intense scene. And, and just like you said, he's always, you know, uh, the, even when he's playing comedic roles, he's too serious. He's too intense, which adds to the humor. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But, I don't, I mean, I don't, he would have had a uh, darker vibe to Egon than what you get across in the movie. Like Harold Ramis has got that, I don't know, there's something lovable about his, like, you know, uh, you know, uh, the way that he goes about doing things. Even if he is, you know, distanced and, you know, does a smile, he still is affable, you know, kind of likable character. Whereas Christopher Walken, you know, is more menacing in his, you know, when he does that. 100%. And you know what uh, Harold Ramis has? That's really important (laughs) when you want your character to be lovable, but you have just this blank face all the time. He's got body language. Yeah. You have yeah, to be he, able to and emote. And he and he's more open and, and inviting as, yes. you know, Egon than what Chris, Christopher Walken's more like stolid and like, you know, uh, reserved and that sort of thing. And, um, it, yeah, it just, I don't know. And then John Lithgow, I, I just don't see it at all. Yeah, just a um, little too <laughs> old to be the type of character, you know, these guys – I mean, I know, granted, he was younger in this time as well, but, I mean, even, like, Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd, even they were pushing the age limit, you know, so they kind of had, like, a, I don't know, they had an age group, and I just don't think John Lithgow would have fit into that. Well, I mean, even if he was their age group at the time, like you said, he, I don't know, I've always felt like he looked older. Yeah. I mean, it just, it's one of those things. I don't mean to be ageist, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so the hubby is here to join us, which is good because I there's going to be some movies you guys talk about that I am not well versed in, so it works out. But where were we? Well, we had just talked about the fact that, uh, or the, some of the other actors who were going to be, or who were in the contention or the running for Egon Spangler in the movie uh, under the trivia yes. for the original Ghostbusters. Um. And we discussed that we couldn't really see it. In fact, we really couldn't see any other character playing a different Ghostbusters character. Like, they really sold their characters. I wouldn't even, I couldn't imagine another actor in any of their roles. So, here's an interesting one for you. Um Michael Keaton turned down the role, uh, both the roles of, he turned down both the roles of Peter Venkman and Egon Spangler. Whoa. (laughs) 
I mean, I, okay, I, I, now I'm going to contradict myself because I probably could see him as Egon. <laughs> he would probably be a better Egon than the ones we mentioned, which be, you know, Christopher Walken and, you know, those. Uh, Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, he. I think Michael Keaton would have been better than those. Um, Chevy Chase turned down the role of Peter Venkman. Uh, he claimed that the script used in the movie wasn't the original script uh, that he was sent, uh, and that the original script was very uh, was a lot darker and scarier. That's the reason he turned it down. If he if it would have been a comedy like they had actually made, he would have probably accepted the role. Do you believe that? Uh, he's a, he's another diva, so I don't know. I feel like Chevy probably you know making shit up on that one. What? <laughs> oh, yeah, I um. Mm, yeah, I, I, what I was thinking is that you can't have Chevy Chase and Bill Murray. Have they? That's that's a question. Have they been in a movie together? If they're both divas, mm, I feel like that they sh- probably should have. Uh, they ran with the same crowds, but I don't. But I can't think of any off the top of my head. I'm researching it, but we can uh, we can move on. Uh, Steve Gutenberg turned down the role of Peter Venkman, the star in Police Academy. Was everyone and their fucking mom going to play the role of Peter Venkman? Jesus. Yeah, we're not done with that yet. Tom Hanks and Robin Williams were also considered for the role. <laughs> no. I'm trying to ma- I'm trying to imagine a reality where Robin Williams would have been the Peter Venkman character, and I'm sorry, I can't see it. I'm at not all. seeing it, no. Um <laughs> Not even Tom Hanks, even though back then his comedic type and how serious he could and could not be, it fit. Like I could see him doing it, but I really don't see him in the role. Yeah, Gutenberg might have been the closest to a good Peter Venkman because he kind of had that same, you know, you know, uh, romantic, you know, guy, you know, vibe or whatever he, the, you know, that he had in, you know, the Police Academy movie. So he was basically playing a version of Peter Venkman even in those movies. So that would have worked, I guess. I guess, but I have some news. 